Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transatlanticist at the America Centrum in Hamburg. As always, I'm the host of the Politics Podcast, Andrew Sola. We are recording a special episode today in response to the news that shook Germany and the world on December 7th, when the German police announced that they had uncovered a plot to overthrow the government and install a new king of Germany. These seditionists are called Reichsburger, or citizens of the Reich, or citizens of the empire. And of course, Reich means empire in German, and we'll be using those terms interchangeably today. So since then, the Transatlanticist has received a number of requests from listeners far and wide to record a podcast episode on the Reichsburger movement and other extremist groups in Germany. As always, we are happy to oblige the requests of our listeners. So today we will explain to you Germany's very interesting and extraordinarily complex history over the last 100 years or so. Also, the current state of extremism in Germany, and the measures that the German state can and cannot take to combat extremism at home. And who better to help me unpack these topics than the transatlanticists, resident EU expert, Dr. Gunter Donner. Welcome, Gunter. Hello, thanks for having me again. So this is a sensitive subject, which means I need to frame this episode very carefully before we proceed, and I have four caveats to make. First, it is important to acknowledge that we do not intend to give extremist groups more exposure by devoting a whole episode to their conspiracy theories. Quite the opposite. However, an evaluation of the false claims of the Reichsburger provide us with a valuable educational opportunity an opportunity to discuss the political history of the big, strange, and complex country, which we now officially call the Federal Republic of Germany. My second point is to remind all of our listeners that Germany is an extremely complicated place, and it has a unique and fascinating history. What other country can you think of that has gone through as much political turmoil in the last hundred years than Germany? A world war, another world war, a genocide, the total destruction of the nation, the division of the nation, and then the reunification of the nation all in a hundred years. In fact, the use of the seemingly harmless word Germany already simplifies the history of the place. When we use the word Germany in a historical context, are we referring to the German Reich of Otto von Bismarck and Wilhelm II? Or are we referring to the Weimar Republic, which was formed after World War I? Or are we referring to the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler? Or are we referring to West Germany, founded in 1949 by the three Western Allied powers, France, Britain, and the US? Or are we referring to East Germany, also founded in 1949 by the Soviet Union? Or are we referring to modern reunified Germany, 
And I haven't even started talking about the various changes in borders and the forced transfers of people over the last hundred years. In fact, it's difficult to define who the German people are. As I said, it's complicated. This brings me to my third point. The various extremist groups we will discuss today wish to claim that their own simplistic view of Germany, Germans, and German history is the only correct view. I would argue that the key to all conspiracies is a certain kind of intellectual simplicity and naivete. But all of the reductive views of these extremists rests on the willful forgetting of large parts of German history, inconvenient parts of history, troubling parts of history that they do not wish to face, be they the colonial crimes of Otto von Bismarck and Wilhelm II, the genocidal crimes of the Nazis, or the crimes against freedom, democracy, and human rights of the communist regime in East Germany. I do not wish to suggest that the current Federal Republic of Germany should be free from criticism, but one mark of freedom is the freedom of speech. The fact that Gunther and I, or indeed the Reichsburger, can do podcasts on any subject we choose, a freedom that would have not been accorded to us in Nazi Germany or Communist East Germany, is surely a sign of progress. Of course, a keen legal observer will now claim that we cannot really do a podcast on any subject we choose to do in Germany. And this is correct. For example, we are prohibited by German law from expressing Holocaust denial, a freedom one has in the United States. We'll return to this theme later in the podcast when we discuss what the German government can and cannot do in response to the rise of extremism. My fourth and final note is to remind listeners again of not only the historical complexity of Germany, but also the countless other aspects of its diversity. Stereotypes of Germany are easy. They oscillate between World War II caricatures of Nazis and more positive modern stereotypes of German efficiency, technological superiority, and luxury cars. And I almost forgot sausages. But let's not forget that all of the social cleavages that affect the US or Britain or France are also readily apparent in Germany. For example, there remain enormous cultural and economic differences between East Germany and West Germany. Also, there are massive differences between a dairy farmer in Bavaria and an investment banker in Frankfurt. And I'll just run down some quick immigration statistics from the uh, Federal Statistic Office here in Germany that reveal yet another aspect of Germany's diversity. Germany has a population of 83 million people, and 22 million have an immigration background. So one in four so-called Germans that you'll meet on the street are either first or second generation immigrants. Lastly, Germany currently has given refuge to 3.3 million refugees and asylum seekers, including 1 million Ukrainians this year. So about one in 20 people you meet on the street in Germany will be a refugee. I'll let that sink in. It's a lot of people. In short, Germany is a complex place that is facing the same pressures facing most countries, issues with immigration and integration, rural and urban divides, 
deindustrialization and digitalization. And our discussion of extremist groups must be understood in this context. So those were my four caveats. I apologize for the long intro. And let's start with the Reichsburgers' claims and assess their historical misinterpretations and perversions. So, Gunther, who are the Reichsburger and what do they believe? Well, yeah, that's a rather complicated question. I think we start with what German authorities, what uh, what we know about the structure, and then try to to figure out or to get a, a bearing of their belief, because there is no such one belief. There are a few common denominators, what these rather loose groupings believe in. What they are agree upon is mostly their figures or institutions of hatred. Uh, not that much what they really wish to wish to establish if ever they had the, the power to do so. So it's considered a highly heterogeneous in composition, uh, with quite visible tendencies to adapt to, adapt to time-given so-called zeitgeist new opportunities. Uh, that means traditional racism, that was anti-Semitism in Germany of the worst kind. That started as early as, well, the Hitler state collapsed. In 1945, the ideology of the Nazi movement uh, the the venom they had given to society to a generation brought up under these horrible ideological circumstances that didn't disappear out of a sudden from one day to the other the riceberger we talk about today is rather young it's in the early 2000s the first this term came into being they had forerunners after the second world war namely delegitimizing the new Federal Republic of Western Germany as a construction of the three Western allied powers. Those had clear links to former hierarchies of the of the Nazi uh, realm. They themselves had taken part in. And uh, that went all through the 50s, and the 60s, when this generation was still among us. They are now dead and you don't bump into them. So whenever we talk about an, a Nazi in inverted commas, now it's a second or third or fourth generation a follower of this horrible movement. But Gunther, when, when we refer to the Reichsburger, yeah. they're not referring to the Third Reich of Adolf Hitler. They're referring to some other Reich previously, correct? Well, not all of them. If they go to the German size of the German state of 1937, you are right in the, in the Third Reich. There were fractions in the early days. They still contested that the last legally appointed German head of state was the Hitler appointee, Admiral Donitz. Uh, the Allies uh, arrested in '45, and he was a convicted war criminal. Those were the origins dating back to Nazism. There are, uh, however, and you are right in this, there is a movement within, they wish to link up to former uh, legal forms of German statehood existence, not as tarnished as were the Nazis. And then they end up not with the Weimar Republic, and that's quite telling. The Weimar Republic is never mentioned. They end up with the German Empire collapsing in 1918. 
Uh, uh, and the head and the head of the German Empire at the time was Wilhelm II, correct? Yes, from the whole so, so Prussian dynasty. Yeah, yeah, so they're referring to uh, a traditional monarchy and empire. Well, yes, but strangely enough, they of course do not they do not discuss or whatever that the Kaiser fled the country. Uh, the monarchy was formally abolished. And uh, a, a new German state, the Weimar Republic, a, demo, a democracy, though in very, very rough seas, was uh, the follower, the legal follower of the German Reich, of the German Empire. So it's, telling, the, it's telling Gunther that the the Heinrich, what is his name, Heinrich the Thirteenth, yes, uh, wants to be the self-proclaimed king of this historic Germany, this, going back to this. A false notion that the yeah. last legal government was the government of uh, Wilhelm II. Well, but even between those two, there was no liaison. The Royce family had a very small, a few blocks <laughs> of a small little principality in Thuringia during the empire. They were bitterly opposed towards the Prussian family. And why this guy now was chosen is probably because he offered himself. His family must be bitterly embarrassed by this. I read something that said that the head of the von Royce family said he was 14th or so in line, so 13 of them would have to die before yes, he would have yes, any power. Of course. I mean, and uh, the little principality of Royce never had any political influence nor power, even within the empire. But if you go back again, one one step further, because history tells us so much about what's going on now, there were always anti-democratic movements by making use of royal families in Germany. We had dozens, uh, uh, more than a hundred, and in the last empire, there was one before, uh, with even more nobility, uh, ruling nobility. So even in the 20s, uh, there were certain individuals from royal families offering their whatever traditional support to the Nazi uh, movement. They later may may have regretted it bitterly. So this was always there. Today there is virtually no, there is no tendency in Germany to restore something as absurd as uh, as a monarchy. So this was the first thing that amazed me. Maybe they chose him because he offered himself and he had a bit of money to, to to throw into the ring. I think what uh, the the legal proceedings now to follow will elucidate what actually happened and who was behind it. From the characters now arrested, he by far isn't ha- to me isn't the most dangerous. He's more ridiculous. Uh, the most dangerous are certainly former elite soldiers having knowledge of how to fight, having training, and probably having access to, to to firearms, which is contrary to what you know from America, even quite a hard nut to crack in Germany because it's not that readily available. I, I had someone sent me a message saying, oh my God, this must be really serious. Germany must be mm-hmm. terrified. Uh, people are stealing weapons. This was an American. People are yeah. stealing weapons, heavy weapons from the government. My response was, well, the only reason they're stealing them is because they can't go to the Walmart to buy them. <laughs> Indeed. And there is no pawn ship available. If you read the uh, press uh, reports on this, many of those now within the Reichsburg scene, of course, 
especially those from rural areas, have a hunter's license. And if you have a hunter's license, you have a right to at least buy a rifle, but not a, a machine gun, a brand gun or a submachine gun or whatever. All this is entirely forbidden. Having your hands on a machine gun brings you into jail straight away. So firearms you have in legal possession are strictly controlled. You can, can, you can trace back the line of ownership. It's, it's extremely strict and difficult to do. There is a black market. We shouldn't deny this. And maybe it, it will be brought to light whether these guns were legally possessed by hunters or by sportsmen using firearms or were they bought on the, on the black market. There was a huge black market for firearms when the Soviet army withdrew from East Germany and the soldiers were selling what they had. This was probably the biggest influx of firearms Germany had ever seen, illegal firearms, I mean. So Okay, that, let's get back to the Reichsbürger. Yeah, uh, so the, uh, um, the security institutions are for Fassenschutz estimates the whole grouping, I call it a grouping more than a movement, because a movement to me is more in line, directed, and under a certain form of command. And the central command, at least I failed to, to make out in this case, between eighteen and 20,000 people out of a population of 83 million. They are very heterogeneous in groupings. You find them from deniers of to- calling the whole state totally illegal and uh, refusing to cooperate, say, at communal and municipal uh, level with local authorities because they, to them, have no right. This brings them into legal conflict with the state at whatever form rather quickly. The um, security uh, authorities consider that roughly a thousand or a, a, a few more are active radicals uh, wishing to, to do whatever. This has to be read with a certain caution, however, I think, because once you know that the person is a radical, you have you have him or her already. You must have had him under survey. So what the problem in a democracy, of course, is that you cannot read people's minds and you cannot even judge upon those. People are free to think that the, uh, the Royce would have been a perfect king or whatever he was about to become. As such, is not forbidden. What is forbidden? That out of whatever ideology to commit crimes. And what's a crime has been laid out in A, the Constitution, and deriving from the Constitution, the penal code. Having arms, planning an attack, planning to storm Parliament, all this is a massive crimes, and for this, if found guilty, they will be punished. What we know about their social structure is they're mostly male, with a few notable exceptions, highly radical ladies, but they are mostly male. They are scattered over German territory with a few hot spots in East Germany uh, and the southern parts of Germany. So you may find less of those probably in the northern or western uh, regions. Rural areas seem to be quite attractive to many of the Reichsburger because they tend to isolate themselves to buy if they have the money or to, to, to rent a compound which they can then isolate against a hostile environment. This, to me, when I first came into contact or touch with this movement and started thinking about it, made me think that this is all, it sounds all a bit uh, off the rocket. They isolate themselves, they 
live in a world of artificially constructed uh, threats by a, a rogue government, and all this makes them rather weird. This is not so uncommon, of course, in the United States. But of course, in the United States, we have vast areas of uninhabited sure. wilderness where people can pretty much build their own compound mm -hmm. and live without seeing anyone. And there have been famous cases of people who denied the government's legitimacy in the U.S. Sure. Uh, fighting back. What is interesting and a, a bit uh, worrying, of course, is that during the um, last four years or so, and especially since 2016, and again since the corona thing, the Reisberger movement must have grow, been gr growing in numbers. It's, uh, again, uh, statistics show mostly they come from disadvantaged social circles with a low degree of education, with a few noteworthy exceptions, namely so-called uh, self-appointed world scientists and experts. And this was probably the corona years, the COVID pandemic, that brought about such weird beliefs that certain people, even medical doctors, even politicians or, or lawyers, came up with strange conspiracy theories one after the other, and this brought them new, new, um, new members and gave them probably more and more attention in public. And and let's list those groups maybe. So the groups that you would argue uh, could coalesce. So the previous groups that could mm -hmm. coalesce into this uh, Reichsburger milieu would be the old uh, neo-Nazis uh, of the NFD party. Some and of you, the extreme you mean people. The NPD party. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. The NPD party. Uh -huh. Also the the AFD, the Alternative for Germany party, the AFD, which we've discussed on this podcast before, who are very critical of the EU, very critical of the government, very right wing, and also they were, in fact, had many violent protests uh, against coronavirus restrictions over the past couple of years, and maybe the left. So when we look at the Reichsburger, you know, how, how do how does the NPD, how do the old right-wingers, as well as the new right-wingers, as well as some extreme leftists, uh, fit into this group? Uh, well, there is one more movement, if you, which is probably uh, a rather uh, fruitful common denominator for absurd ideologies, and that is what they call in German the Querdenker. It's a word that means you think contrary to mainstream, but it's been transformed into a political sledgehammer word, a term which shows a motley array of anti-state, anti-COVID measures, movement organized by a handful of a few years ago, when the pandemic uh, uh, came into existence, before Fairdanker translated would mean uh, we would use the word conspiracy theorist. Yes, Querdenken in its origin isn't negative. It's that means you you double think. Uh, you you try to look at a problem from various angles. So it had had a positive linguistic uh, connotation. Co connotation that was then instrumentalized. Then you, you had the NPD. The NPD is down and out. It had its heyday in 1964, perhaps 1969. They 
The they, NPD, but, just to remind people, this is a far right. It's a classical neo Nazi party, once founded by a person very close to the Hitler realm. Then, think back 50, 60 years, they were still addressing live Nazis from the original contingent. They had their heyday, they never managed to enter the, the federal parliament. We have a 5% of the vote threshold they never managed to uh, to climb over. So they then dropped away. It was once even uh, attempted a legal thing, which is rather complicated but possible, that they uh, were forbidden by the Court of uh, Constitution. The judges then said they are so unimportant and so ridiculously small, there is no danger from this movement. So they more or less withered away on the vine. And this goes to the the final subject we have for today, which is to discuss what the German government, what German laws, what the constitutional court can and can't do. So as we go back through the various groups, uh, or I'm sorry, I should say political parties that we've just mentioned, uh, we mentioned the NPD most recently. Mm-hmm. Now, the German constitutional court can ban political parties. Yes. Under what circumstances can they ban them? The obvious one, I think, is expressing pro-Nazi views and denying the Nazi crimes, correct? Yes. Well, well, that is penal law rather than the constitution. Interdicting or forbidding a party is, uh, is a tougher nut to crack. It's Article 21 of our Constitution that that a party endangering the future existence of our democracy and the rule of law can, under certain circumstances, quite high hurdles, and I'm very thankful that we have high hurdles, be forbidden. This was once, it once happened with the Communist Party in the 50s under direct control from the Moscovite Empire, it didn't turn out to be very fruitful because another party a few years later was founded with another name and the whole thing would start afresh. So the idea is you can stamp out a party, but you can't stamp out the thought. The thing now for a democracy, for a democracy that is defense-minded and wishing, having learned the lesson from the Weimar Republic, which went down the drain in bitter conflict and growing weakness, and then opened the gateways to the greatest horrors the world had ever seen, namely the Nazi empire. One has to be very strict that forbidding a party doesn't wipe out the the weird ideology they may have or they may offer to others. Right. So the the Reichsburger, probably it would be contrary to their ideology to form a political party because that would give legitimacy to the political system that they don't actually... Mm -hmm believe in, but the the German government can prosecute groups like this or individuals like Easily. this, you said, under under the penal code rather than under the constitutional court, which would forbid a an openly Nazi party from ever existing mm-hmm. in Germany. And as as you said, it's obvious that extremism will exist no matter what. I don't think there's any way of regulating extreme thoughts, but but of course, under the penal code, as you said a little bit earlier, if the Reichsburger are engaging in a conspiracy, a seditious conspiracy, and if they are far along in plans to, for example, assassinate politicians, which apparently they had yeah. plans to do, 
this is grounds for then the the state to prosecute them. Well, they are then under the penal code, a criminal gang with criminal aims, clearly against the the constitution. They were well uh, with infringements against a variety of, of, of laws, from arms possessions to probably whatever swastika flags, whatever they had, and this will bring them in, in the courtroom. And then the judiciary will have to decide how serious was it. In this case, it must have been quite serious uh, because their plannings at least can be traced down and tracked down. To my astonishment, because uh, even if there were certain experts involved of sabotage or clandestine warfare, why is it is it also documented? It, it, it goes to show, in spite of all the danger that is contained herein, uh, they are still absolutely stupid. And it's ridiculous, stupid, and it's 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 dramatically uh, idiotic. This does not mean that one hasn't to take it seriously. I would not like to right. see. And, and and this this is the point. As several people said, they expressed their concern about reading this news story because the rest of the world is always concerned yeah. when extremism comes out of Germany, and mm-hmm. they wonder what's wrong. So well, what is wrong and should we be worried? Well, we have to be attentive. We have to be on the alert. What and does that mean, though, practically? That means that the authorities will have to probably strengthen the law of firearms, better register it, make up uh, stronger penalties on the illegal possession of such, that certain individuals expressing openly anti-democratic and anti-state strategies would have to be observed. That's why we have the Verfassungsschutz. They they just don't arrest them. They observe Can you explain them. what the Verfassungsschutz yeah. is? It's a, uh, it's a secret service to guarantee the future existence of our constitution, which should not be uh, thrown on the junk pile, by radicals. And so they are, they are not a police troop. They are a, a secret service Mostly gathering information. They not normally. They don't arrest people. A, a, a domestic, a domestic intelligence service that is focused on. Yeah, the French would call it the deuxième bureau. But it's it, they're they're focused on on domestic might, issues, indeed. Yeah, that and and specifically people who might want to overthrow the. Indeed, state. And, and because I mean, we have to bear in mind that democracy was uh, installed upon Germany. Twice after the empire of the of the Kaiser crashed, and when Hitler had ruined half the world, so from the beginning, and it started rather early, there were of course the new democracy had to learn from the Weimar Republic. They didn't have such a thing, uh, so they were left out in the open. Our second democracy in Germany is of a defensive nature, so we know what we owe. And you're, and this is the the current. Democracy. That is the current democracy. Federal Republic of Germany. Indeed. And um, let me add one thing. I mean, uh, I would, as a German citizen also, I would not like to see these groupings with the strange prince evidently plan to storm the the parliament in Berlin. And I would not like, but this is not an anti-American statement, but I would not like to see things you experienced on January 6th, 21. This in Germany would be a shock to me. Whatever they had now planned would have been but a ridiculous uh, fraction of an attempt, but 
pro-play people will learn. We have rather strict laws uh, under a legislation protecting our democracy that will be applied. And of course, we learn that now, after all these developments we had, the pandemic, the, the pandemic let loose lots of conspiracy theories and gave the dark side of the internet a new meaning by just well, forming opinions, by creating myth, by creating false realities, by disinformation organized from alien powers probably. All this adds up, and the internet, of course, if you look at the Querdenken or conspiracist movement, the internet I try to is, avoid that. Yeah, <laughs> this is their backbone. I just need to, to push back or question a little bit more if the German government is doing enough to combat extremism. Because it's not like this is the first story that's come out recently. There have been major problems that very, very problematic ideologies are deeply embedded in the German military, for example. Indeed. One of the Reichsburger people who was arrested was a judge. Uh, so yeah. uh, forgive forgive me from saying, okay, you can say these are ridiculous ideas, but make a defense that what the German government is doing is correct. Because someone else might say, you haven't rooted out all of the extreme ideas in your own military, in the judicial system. So, uh, you know, I'm Uh, I'm not so sure you can just sweep this under the rug and say everything's under control. Well, as as for the security of the Bundestag or the parliament, I should really say that this is firmly under control and and there is no danger. You're talking about the physical security of the government figures. Okay. Uh, Concerning the spreading of such thoughts, conspiracy theories, anti-democratic, racist visions of whatever a weird future, uh, among special target groups, namely former military, there was no active, that was a former military people, uh, from probably both the East Germany and West Germany. The judge thing is a, a really the most interesting part of it all, because this lady used to be an AFD member of parliament until the last election. She wasn't re-elected, and by profession, she was a judge. As a judge, you are under certain professional commitments to be as politically neutral when you are working as such. Because you have the right to be elected into parliament, and the AFD until now hasn't been forbidden. So she went there, she did her thing and her strange ideology, and then she went back to her job, because judges here are are civil servants with normally life appointees. It's quite difficult to remove them. There are a few such pending cases, by the way, now in Germany. And I bet, I bet that the government, and it's the government of the lender in this case, and the federal government, irrespective of party preference, will do what they can to apply the protection of such services against people sharing and spreading in public, what they think of their brain, you never can check, extremist political thoughts that make it impossible for them to stay in their, these jobs for, for, for a longer time. What I'm hearing, Gunter, is a lot of, uh, well, the, the system as it functions now, the judicial system, the intelligence services, the, the German constitution, mm-hmm are in control of the situation, right? 
And rather than adopting a narrative of looking at this sweep of these Reichsburgers on December 7th, rather than looking at that as a sign of crisis in Germany, what everyone around the world who's worried about this should understand instead is that actually the system is functioning just fine. People who, when they become dangerous, have been observed, are under surveillance, and once they cross a threshold for prosecution, then they get arrested. So I think those two narratives, uh, people need to decide. Is Germany in crisis with extremism, or is everything working as it should? And I would just want to end the podcast that way by saying, I don't know. But certainly, the people who are extremist and had a, a conspiracy that was far along and wanted to kill people are now in jail. So we'll see what the trials tell us. Yeah, take your pick. Extremism or a constitution and a judiciary doing its job perfectly well, and there's nothing to see here. A final word, Gunter? Well, I'm quite hopeful. And let's face it, we are under a multiple layer type of crisis. There were the years of the pandemic that was unprecedented in history, added on by the ongoing by Putin's aggressive war, uh, leading to the uh, uh, loss of security to many people, disillusionment, probably uh, sheer disbelief in, in their own future. That was irritating many. So this might may have been feeding radical political thought. What is very, very interesting and has to be followed is that political schooling, training discussions with military people is of the essence. If you have to have trained police and military people, trained in democratic tradition, history and practice, this probably was a bit too short. If you ask 15, 16-year-old students at schools in Germany about German history, you may have a negative impression that they know very little. I think a Democrat is a two-sided two thing. You, you have to give and you can take. But in order to give, you have to know a bit about the value of democracy and the rule of law. This has to be strengthened as early as it can be. Well, I will second that. The role of educators and partly the role of this podcast and the America Centrum is to educate. And I think educating all nations' youth on, on democracy and civil society and democratic values is something that should start young and it should carry on into the professions that children choose, be they the police or the military as well. All right. Well, let's end it there. Thank you for discussing with me in this special episode, The uh, State of Extremism in Germany. And Gunter, I will see you before the end of the year when we will do our yearly roundup and we will look forward to 2023. Thank you, Gunter. You're most welcome. Thank you. Just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum. 
which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.